Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. I'm very happy to announce the extension of our podcast sponsorship, the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. And if you haven't tried this, you got it. It's so simple. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you the guided videos and walks you through it step by step using Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Since coming on board as a sponsor, I've had a lot of listeners, including my own clients, my own athletes, who have been using these protocols on a daily basis, and we have seen an increase in recovery from training session to training session. What does that let me do as a coach? It lets me train them a little harder. It lets me push them a little bit harder. So you got to try it. It's completely free for two weeks. If you decide to continue, you can get an additional 10% off for life. You just have to use the promo code PROJECT10. Again, the promo code is PROJECT10 to use the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach a sponsor of the Project Fitness Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with a friend of mine, Brittany Conkey, and today we're going to be talking about sculpted strength. The reason why we're having Brittany on here is because Brittany has lived and developed sculpted strength. Brittany is a personal trainer, a high-level power lifter, a ex-slash-current teacher, I believe, in uh, physical education, and she's just been an empowering figure in the fitness industry over over across the border, our friends there down in the United States. And I'm so happy to have you on here today, Brittany, as a real leader in the female side of the fitness industry. So welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been uh, it's a pleasure to be on and, and kind of share this dialogue with you. And, and you have done a handful of series of, of different forms of fitness, you know, before you got to where you are today. So I know your background because of our relationship. Why don't you just give a quick little, you know, where you started, how you got to there and where you are now, how you're influencing and working in fitness today. Sure. Yeah. So I started, I was an athlete my entire life. I actually went to college and played uh, college softball. And once that was done, it was kind of like, now what? So that naturally kind of gravitated me into the bodybuilding physique world. And during that time, I competed in figure competitions. And um, although the experience gave me a lot of, you know, learning and insights and things like that, it also created this like perfect storm of me going through everything of not to do. So I was a, I don't like to say it was a victim because I don't like using that word, but I, I went through it all. I went through the gamut of gimmicks, fads, quick fixes, and it led me down a path of just darkness for most of my twenties. I had an eating disorder. Uh, I was suicidal, all of that. By the end of my twenties, I actually, by the a uh, recommendation of a friend found something called CrossFit. And when I got into CrossFit, I found powerlifting. And from there, I completely changed not only the way that I looked at fitness and health, but I changed my body as well. And then from that point on, I was hooked. So now I've been a big advocate for um, what it means to be sculpted and strong. So I've created a program that kind of marries the two together and that's where I'm at now in terms of who I serve. So I serve people that, you know, want to be strong, but also look the part as well. You did mention um, I was a physical education teacher earlier this year. I made the decision to exit that um, after almost a decade in teaching and now I'm full-time training. So you, you must have seen some of that in uh, the phys ed world as well, eh? like, like young athletes or, or maybe even more females confused and then by confused I just mean they're probably like okay softball is fun ball is fun but like I want to do some more fitness stuff am I right to yeah. say that yeah and I would say too just across the board there's a lot of misinformation and just misconceptions on what fitness really is you know I think when you look at it in terms of athletics in youth you know they think fitness is doing plyometric drills for an hour um whereas when you get into the adult world, especially with females, 
they think, well, it's just, I'm going to go to these classes and I'm going to see how many calories I can burn in an hour. And I'm going to stay on the cardio and all of that. And through not only my education, but my experience, I've seen like, that's totally not the case at all. Like there's still this just misconception of what fitness truly is. And you've done it. You've done the cardio thing, right? The cardio bunny, the burn the calories. Why why wasn't it so good? Um, Well, you feel like shit, first Mm -hmm. of all, and you never really get the results that you want. I mean, even when I was prepping for those figure competitions, I need to say this was back in 2005. So this was before all of the kind of advancements that have happened in the last decade. Um, but I was doing all of the circuit training. I never even touched a barbell. I didn't know what a barbell was until I got into CrossFit in my late twenties. So I was doing everything, you know, the circuit training, the fasted cardio for an hour, sometimes two hours, the bro, you know, eat chicken, rice, and broccoli for every meal diet. So I did it all wrong. And from that, um, I found I, I never really got the results that I wanted, nor did they stay. So that was the biggest, I think, key factor for me is I realized that, yeah, I could get these good results. I could lose weight, but it's not staying and it's not sustainable. Like who, mm. who can stay on an elliptical for two hours in the morning every day? Like, I don't know many people that do and nor do they want to. Yeah, you'd have to, you know, not have a job or <laughs> there's a way to commit to two hours a day of doing just elliptical. Yeah. yeah that's not fun. So you, you you did that. You burned some fat off. You probably got slim, you know, like stage yeah. slim, but you never stayed off. And you said you felt like crap during the whole thing. I think this is a common narrative we hear a lot when people say, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to follow these prep style protocols and they feel like crap. Why do they feel like crap? Because it's the extremes, right? We fitness loves to sell extremes. They love to sell, okay, we're going to go hard. We're going to do this prep style 12 week transformation only for that person to, yeah, maybe get the results that they think, but in 12 weeks later, they've gained everything back and some, or they just feel like crap. So it's just not a sustainable way. And, um, you know, I think that for the fitness industry, it's because it's, it's an easy sell. You know, what's not easy sell is slow, simple, and sustainable. That's, mm. that's not easy. Yeah. Like imagine if you could just brush your teeth for 12 weeks in your life and be like, Oh, I got great teeth. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that's exactly how I thought it was. <laughs> like I literally looked at on that note, that on that like, note, on that note, you've great teeth. I have a oh, feeling <laughs> you've been brushing them longer than, than 12 weeks. Right. Thirty-seven years to be exact. (laughs) But but you're right. It's an easy sell. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, and I mean, like I I I did it all. Like I I really did think, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I thought looking at those girls like Monica Brandt on Oxygen magazine, I thought, okay, she did it for twelve weeks, and now like she just has it. Like it never goes away. Mm -hmm. So my Mm -hmm. ignorance was like, okay, I'm just going to go do the show. And then everything's great. I can go eat cheeseburgers and drink beer after. And it's like, no, it's not the case at all. You're right. It it doesn't last. And it's very uh, unfortunate, but it's a fallacy that we see way too often. And I can attest as a, as a coach, you know, coaching uh, the bikinis in, in that world, I would be very upfront with the girls. I'm like, yeah, we're probably going to have abs. You're probably going to have abs a few days out of your show. You might have some the day after, and then that's it. They're yep. gone. Yep. <laughs> your abs might turn into ab afterwards. <laughs> exactly. And they would just be like, they'd be like, no, no, that's not how it works. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that that's how it works. You're, you're female. So if you're going to maintain that amount of leanness, there's going to be a side effect from a hormonal standpoint, a psychological standpoint. Did you go through any of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I started my prep. I was around 140. So current weight, I got down to 112. That's was, that was what I weighed on stage. So you've, you've seen me like to think 112, it was skin and bones by the time I believe it was six and you're, months. And you're, after- and you're a beefy 140. Like if you're listening yeah. to this, cause when we put this out, it's going to be mostly audio. Most people are going to be seeing it on audio, but you have a, a, a good amount of muscle mass and you're, you're not the tallest. So 140 <laughs> down to 112, that's yeah. string bean. Yeah. 
yeah, I was borderline eating disorder looking. Mm -hmm. So that I competed at 112. And then once I, you know, lived my life and did all of the things a 21 year old was going to do at that time, six months later, I was up to 170. So I had Mm -hmm. rebound hard. And that was the other thing too. That was back in 2005. No one talked about macros. No one talked about the after the diet rebound, you know, none of that, none of that existed. So when people ask me now, would you ever do it again? Knowing what I know now? No, I wouldn't have. However, I do want to do it again to show to myself I can do it correctly and right. And anyone that comes to me that says, okay, I want to do a show. Like what advice do you do? Would you give? And I would always say, can you imagine yourself happy currently 20 pounds lighter and 40 pounds heavier? And if you say no to any of those questions, you're not in the right headspace to do a show. And you really need to reconsider how you go about this this journey. An interesting way of looking at it, but I, I like it. I think you're, you're laying out the facts. And a lot of times people try to dance around those facts. Myself going going through that with some people before. But you went, you went through that. You then found the barbell into CrossFit. Mm-hmm. The transition from prep to performance and then CrossFit to powerlifting. What were some of the differences you found there that I believe would have probably led you into your sculpted program that we're going to talk about in a minute? Yeah, I think it was just a combination of things. It was one, I'm not being judged, quote unquote, for what I look like, which was a very subjective measure of, you know, what it is in terms of being successful that now I'm being judged on a performance standard, you know, so especially when it comes to, even though I did compete a little bit in CrossFit, but especially in powerlifting, like you either make the lift or you don't you know, it's very cut and dry. Yes, there are Mm -hmm. standards you meet and there are some gray areas, but you either lift the bar off the ground or you don't. And so for me, that was just a completely different way of looking at not only fitness, but how I approached fitness and how I approached that journey that I wasn't so fixated on. Okay. I don't have abs. I don't have this. My legs are too big, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, Oh, I can do this. I can squat X amount of weight. I can put this on the bar and do this many reps or whatever it was. So it was just all encompassing. It it was going from can't to can. Hmm. So CrossFit then goes into powerlifting and you see that it's more performance-based. You're being judged on what you can do, not what you look like. So obviously Mm -hmm. your, your training has to be modified for that. And the, the stage world's always funny to me anyway, because it is, it, it, you can't play defense first off. You can't play defense. You don't know who's going to the show, right? Yeah. So I talked to many girls. I'm always like, oh, we got a show coming up, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and then they say to you right away, they're like, I'm hoping to come top three. Like, that's the plan. I'm like, oh, like you handle the registrations? Like, do you know who's going, who's not going? I want to win the overall. Do you even know what that means? Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and they say these things. And I'm like, well, you know, if I don't, if I don't come top three, like it'll be a huge disappointment. And then I'll say, well, do you know how many girls are in your category? No. Well, what if there's 40, you know, versus five, right? Right. You don't know that you can't play defense against them. You can only show up. And if you look like the trophy, you're probably going to beat the other girls. If you don't look like the trophy and someone else does, they're probably going to beat you. You can't control that because you're taking a human figure and you're trying to morph it into looking like a statue. And, you know, if we are all blank canvases, you can draw that no problem. But the reality is, is, you know, your bone structure is your bone structure. There is no diet. There's no exercise. It's going to change where your hips are, your cheekbones, your collarbone. You can't change that. It's where do you start? Probably has a huge implication on where you finish. And nobody, nobody talks about that aspect of it. No. Yeah. But you went, sorry, you went through it all. You learned mm-hmm. a whole bunch of new things and you've created what you call a, a sculpted strength program. Can you talk a little bit about what is sculpted strength? I love the name. I love the name. I want to know a little bit more about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a program that focuses on both. It bridges the gap between the two, because let's be honest, especially as females, like we do want to look good. We want to be confident in the way that we look. And I don't think that that's a bad goal to have. I'm not one of these people that says, you know, you should disregard an aesthetic based goal. I think that's, that's healthy and natural, to be honest. 
Um, what I have crafted is a program that allows you to attain that goal, but in a also performance-based way and quite honestly, an effective way. So when I came into the powerlifting kind of scene, I knew very early on that I didn't want to let those aesthetic goals that I had go. Like I wanted to look quote unquote good for my own subjective definition, but then I also wanted to be able to perform and do well at meets. And so I've created a program that, that does both. So very similar to what a power building program for those that are in powerlifting, they're, they're familiar with that term. Um, I've created a program that does that for women that helps them be sculpted, be sexy, be whatever, but also be strong too, that we're not going to just stay, you know, over in the quote unquote pink dumbbell area. Like we're going to lift some weights and we're going to, you know, get strong, but we're also going to utilize bodybuilding practices so that we can sculpt, you know, the shoulders, the glutes, things like that, that women tend to gravitate towards wanting to improve. And it's so interesting that um, power lifters deep down inside want to, they want to look like bodybuilders, right? <laughs> and then yeah. bodybuilders deep down inside want to lift like power lifters. Yeah. Anytime, anytime I talk to a bodybuilder, it's all about how much they, how much I could, I could have done. I used to do this. I'm trying to do that. And they're just talking strength to me. And I'm like, yo, yo, like you, you got to talk like muscle separation. You got to talk getting shredded, man. Like that's your thing. Like, why are you talking strength? Right. Yeah. And anytime you talk to and you see a power lifter around an aesthetics guy or girl, you always see them talking about, I just got to get a little leaner, get around 10%. That's the goal <laughs> for the summer. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Pick a side, man. Just pick a side. But <laughs> yeah. it's true. They, yeah. they want to, we want to be each other. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And the other thing that, that blows my mind, and hey, I am not a bodybuilder, but I do know how to exercise. Power lifters have no idea how to bodybuild. And what I mean by that is they have no idea how to exercise beyond three exercises. Yes. I mean, I, I see them jump in all the time about, you know, execution. This is how you do a tricep exercise, but they do it like power lifters. They're, they're lifting <laughs> yeah. way too much. They are using momentum, inertia. They have no idea how to isolate a muscle. They don't understand principles of drop sets and lengthen ranges and shorten ranges. And I'm always, it always blows my mind. I'm like, if power lifters sat down and had a real conversation with high level bodybuilders, they would be unstoppable in their sport. They would look amazing and they would be really strong and probably bulletproof because that's where we, that's where the powerlifters get, get injured, right? Is yeah. that they're doing just, just the main lifts and they're just doing the mid range and they're getting weak yeah. in these other ranges where bodybuilding could bring up some of those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And yeah. on the opposite side, what does the bodybuilder do when they want to go strong? They want to do strength training. They're, they max out like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to see how much I can bench every Monday. On Wednesday, I'm going to see how much can I deadlift for one every Wednesday. And then Friday, how much can I squat? You know what I mean? Yeah. And this, yeah. Every week they're maxing out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And the power of you be like, well, you don't have to do that every week. <laughs> you yeah. know, if you just got the right brains in the room and you put the two together, you might have sculpted strength. Exactly. Exactly. And that was my reasoning for creating it. It was that there's just such a disconnect between all worlds. And then if you even bring it back into, you know, what we trainers call gen pop, you know, the, the mom that wants to get her, her mom body, you know, pre baby body back. She thinks going to orange theory five days a week is the way to do it. And it's like, no, like if you look at the research, if you look at what some of your inspirations are doing. It's not going to these classes, seeing how many calories you can burn on your fitness tracker. You know, they're, they're actually just prioritizing strength. Yes. Doing cardio as a supplement, but it's not the only thing that they're doing. So, so when someone says to you and they say, okay, your program has some strength training involved there. Um, but we need to burn some calories. Are we, are we going to be burning calories? We're going to be calculating calorie expenditure what happens if I lift too heavy and I get too bulky? How do you answer those <laughs> questions? Oh, I wish your, your podcast listeners could see how hard that eye roll was. Um, so <laughs> you can almost hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. Let me answer the, uh, are we going to get bulky? 
I, I know that I'm not the first one. I won't be the last one to say this. As a woman, you will not get bulky, especially so quickly that you can't see it happening unless you are on some performance enhancing supplements. Okay. So we'll, we'll keep that at that. So this is not creatine. Yeah. Yeah. This, you should actually be supplementing with creatine, but um, this is beyond. So as a woman, if your intention is to get bulky, you know that that's your intention and you're doing things that are going to help, uh, you know, achieve that goal. If your intention is to get sculpted and strong, um, if you're just following a training plan, a properly designed training plan that prioritizes strength and utilizes quick, you know, cardio sessions, hit type sessions, two, maybe three times out of the week, you're going to get really good results and you're not going to have to focus on, well, did I burn 500 calories today? Did I, did I lift too much? Am I going to get too bulky? You're not going to be asking yourself those questions. And I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of this, but the major driver in shape and size and differences is always hormones, 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 hormones. You can take a child um, in a place of poverty between the ages of six and 12, and you can give them very little nutrition. You can give them calorie deficit during that whole duration, and they're going to grow from three feet to five feet on a calorie deficit, malnourished, in poverty. They're, they're going to probably double their body weight in six years. That is not because of the exercise they do that makes them that do that. It's not going to be because they ate too much protein. That is because hormones and our hormones change as we get older. And there's a huge difference between you and me. It's about 20 times the amount of testosterone, hence my beard. So we have <laughs> about men, we have about 20 times the amount of testosterone as females do. So just because you might do an exercise that you see someone big and bulky do, it's not going to make you, it's not going to make you look like that. You just don't have that same ability, but exactly. you can still get really good hormonal responses doing some of the big lifts. Am I right to say that? Exactly. And especially for females as they approach you know, kind of the dreaded perimenopause, menopausal years. Um, those are years where hormones are greatly going to influence how your body composition is. So if we can mitigate those factors using training and not necessarily just going straight for the, you know, um, HRT route, why not? Like, why not take that approach and utilize training for that, but then also help with the mental benefits as well. I mean, I know you've had many people on this show. You've done a lot in terms of social media on promoting the health or I'm sorry, the mental well-being effects of training. Like it goes beyond physical. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. With, um, with the perimenopausal and menopausal women, what are some of the the mistakes that you'll see that women do when they fall into that category where they're trying to get healthy, but yet they, they're doing the things wrong. And how does your program differ from that? So they're trying to do all of the things and they're trying to still do things that maybe did work in their early twenties. You know, maybe the, the cardio bunny approach quote unquote was the best way for them. And it got them results. But then as they get older, like their bodies have changed and they realize like, I, I'm not getting the same results. I'm holding a little bit more fat in my abdomen, like what's going on. And often it's because they're not training. I don't want to say appropriately, but intelligently they're trying to, to drive a hormone response using a method that doesn't do it. You know, and also to be quite honest too, diet has a lot to, to do with it from some of the research that I've seen and some of the experience, you know, women are different in terms of men. We, we tend to be a little bit more carb sensitive than our men counterparts. It doesn't mean we need to be low carb though. Typically mm -hmm. men do better with, you know, a keto, very low carb approach, but for women, especially as much as our hormones fluctuate throughout the month, we, we don't do well with low carb or no carb, I should say, but mm -hmm. we also, for most of us 
can't do high carb either. So it's just about finding, you know, that balance too. And for a lot of women, um, diet quality matters, food quality matters, alcohol intake matters. So again, we're trying to, when we approach those perimenopausal years and the menopausal years, we have to then consider it's not only just physical looks at this point. Now we have to look at it in terms of health. You know, what are we doing from a health standpoint that is going to help um, these changes happen? Mm-hmm. Would you say some women tend to do um, way too much? They exercise way too much. We're in that category. And then they have uh, some negative effects. Yes, they're doing too much with very little return. And I think it's because they've almost been conditioned to think more is better. Mm-hmm. When if you think about it, um, intelligent is better. So if I can get the same, if not better results doing less, why not take that approach? But for most women, they've been taught from an early age, more, more cardio, more exercise, more dieting, you know, less calories, all of that comes into play when it's actually quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so interesting because, um, you always hear of, um, hyperthyroidism, hypothyroid, you know, when you get to those age categories, 40 up. And, and I've chatted with a lot of women, they say, I got hyperthyroid. So what I'm going to do is I'm on this medication and stuff. And I'm like, okay, what, like, what else do you do? And they're like, well, I do four or five classes a week. Right. And I'm on the super like low calorie diet. And I just got to keep working. What they're not realizing is that's this like adding fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is their body is producing too much T3 or T4 or not enough of one. The other one spikes up. And that leads to mood changes, anxiety, digestive issues, stress. And then when all those things are at whack, cortisol goes through the roof and cortisol or stress hormone throws everything off. It makes you hungry, yeah. makes you angry, your hair loss, you're sweating all the time. And uh, I, I'm not sure where this ever came from. Like, there's never been a good idea <laughs> to, to, to yeah. hey, when you're going through menopause or premenopausal, hey, let's just start training really, really hard. And let's restrict everything and something good will happen. Like I've never heard of anyone where it got better. And we'll see these people in the gym and they're the ones in the gym all the time. And you can literally see them gaining weight. Yep. You can see yep. their body composition getting worse. And unfortunately, I've seen it over the years of people who teach fitness. They do classes, right? They're fitness mm-hmm. instructors because they end up teaching four to 10 classes a week. Right. And mm-hmm. they're, they're into this age category now where when they were doing it in their twenties, it wasn't so bad, but now that they're you know, late thirties, early forties, they're like, okay, I'm starting to gain weight and I'm doing all this exercise. So what do I need to do? I need to do more. So they start yeah. exercising more. They start eating less and you can just see it week by week by week. You have a bit more of a periodized approach there. How do you handle the amount of cardio? You mentioned before um, interval-based work. You want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, very simply, to be quite honest, it's about taking an approach that is more efficient rather than saying, okay, you need to go longer. So it's doing intervals, it's doing hit style training. It's utilizing exercises in a more explosive way. I love kettlebell swings. I think they're great for that. You know, air dine bike, as much as it, it can be a, a bitch at times, it's a great way to do, you know, quick, even Tabata type exercise. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the heart rate up, really get into that anaerobic threshold and then get the hell out of there. So Mm -hmm. it's not this long state, long steady state cardio approach. Um, and to be quite honest too, it allows us to put more of our efforts, more of our focus on what's going to give us the bang for our buck, which is barbell training, strength training. Then how do you periodize the strength training aspect? Do you follow like a conjugate method, undulating, linear, weightlifting, powerlifting, weight? I really, I, I tend to be a more of the powerlifting approach. I mean, I think every case is different, but I also like the, I love three on for each phase. So I like going into an accumulation or a volume phase and then right into an intensity phase and then back into accumulation and then back to intensity. I think three weeks for most people is a great way to kind of work inside that phase, but also allows for, um, 
it allows for people to have enough variety, but still stick with the program. So mm -hmm. that's another thing, you know, many people are, especially in this category, program hoppers, they'll do it for a week. Yeah. They'll be like, oh my God, I don't like this. I might go to something else. Whereas I feel like, okay, if you tell someone, here's your three week block, you're going to do, let's say, um, you know, four sets of eight squats for these first three weeks. And each week I want you to try to put a little bit more weight on the bar. And then once those three weeks are done, okay, now we're going to go into intensity. Now we're going to bring that, that weight up a little bit, but we're going to bring the reps down. So maybe we're going to go, you know, four by six, four by four, whatever mm -hmm. it is, um, do that for three weeks and then back into an accumulation phase. So I think that that has been the best way to approach, especially for women where, you know, they, I hate to say this, there's notorious for program hopping. So. Well, that's okay because men, they don't hop programs because that means they would have to try something new. <laughs> and instead, we like to do what we've done for 20 years and just keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again. And then we end up becoming the, oh, I used to. Oh, I used to bench 400. Oh, yeah, I used to do that. I used to. I'm the used to guy. Yeah, you've been running the same program for 20 years. It's so that's interesting, eh? Like men literally just do the exact same thing because they don't want to ask for help. And then maybe more females, as you said, I don't, I never said you call it program hoppers. Oh yeah. I yeah. don't think you're wrong, but you're right. <laughs> they, you know, it's fine. They're like, Oh, like what's next? Well, I need to do this. I need to do this. I love the idea though, of sticking with the same exercise and just changing the variables of it. Mm -hmm. I imagine um, that the technique gets learned and gets, people get pretty good at it because they're practicing it again and again and again, and you're just changing the weights. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, technique in strength training is a skill. And so even if, you know, if I'm going back to my teaching days, we taught kids how to run, walk, skip, gallop. That was all a skill, throw a ball. It's the same thing in the weight room. So you can't get better at a skill unless you practice it mm -hmm. week after week. Now as coaches, we can alter variables, tempo, pauses, you know, sets, reps, all of that kind of stuff, but you have to practice the skill in order to get better. Mm -hmm. So utilizing the different variables in that way can help. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure that that, that skill is in the program often enough for the person to get better at it. Mm -hmm. And you must have noticed that or seen that. I imagine um, when you went through CrossFit, was there a lot of variety there or was it pretty standard? Like so I was stuff. very fortunate that the CrossFit gym I stumbled upon just used CrossFit as the name, but they operated under a total different kind of programming. Um, it was actually one of the coaches there that developed his own, uh, he called it girls gone strong. It was a, basically a group of us, 12 girls. We all wanted to learn how to lift. And he said, all right, we'll meet every Tuesday, Thursday. I'm going to teach you how to squat, how to bench, how to deadlift. And he created a modified conjugate West side style program. And that's how I learned how to lift but I have to give him credit and I will always, because had I not gone through a program like that, where I was actually tracking what I was doing, I was using percentages. I was learning the skill of lifting. I don't think I would have stuck with it. I, I really don't just because I had been so used to, you know, Oh, we got to, you know, improve our handstand pushups today. And then tomorrow I have to go Olympic lift and then this and that. And that's really when I started to realize, like, wait a minute, I'm trying to be all things. I'm trying to do all of the things. And one, I don't like doing shit on the rig. I don't like doing gymnastics stuff. So why am I going to keep doing shit that I don't like? Mm -hmm. But two, if I'm going to get better at the things I do like, I need to prioritize it. And thankfully, also that coach was like, look, if you want to be a CrossFit athlete, that's fine. But you have to realize, like, these athletes are doing a way different type of program. They're prioritizing strength. So we can help you do that. But if you just want to really get better at the lifts themselves, like, try this thing called powerlifting. And I think you're going to like it. And he was absolutely right. I mean, like I said, that was probably one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life, especially in terms of this fitness journey. But um, it was just more testament that to get better at something, whether it's a physique, a skill like lifting, whatever, you have to do it continuously over and over. And it's going to take time. Anytime someone's ever said to me, like, if they, if they want to say, like, Hey, I want to squat more. <clears throat> the first thing I say in return is like, they said, what should I do? And I said, well, how many, how many days a week do you squat? And they say three. And I said, you should squat more. What? <laughs> well, yeah. I want to squat more. What should I do? I'm like try four. 
right? Yeah. Or, or if they, how many times a week do you bench? I bench once, bench more. Yeah. And, and it is a skill. And, and my favorite analogy is um, uh, many, many years ago, I went through the small off squat cycle. Have you ever do that small off squat? I have not done it, but I obviously know what it is. Yeah, so it's 13 weeks of pain. That that's all it is. Like it's it's literally like you 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 squat three days in a row, take a day off, squat um, uh, two times the next week. Then after that, you're squatting four times a week for four weeks, testing your max, and then you're squatting three times a week. Like the average percentile by like week seven, the average percentile is like 89. Like (laughs) all your sets are going to be like 88 to 94. Like you were doing so much squatting that it even says on the protocol, the program, do not deadlift. Like yeah. don't do any deadlifting. There's no yeah. deadlifting for this entire program. But the point of the program was um, for uh, weightlifters who had bad squats and they needed to increase their squat strength. Like it was literally designed for <laughs> an athlete who goes to the Olympics and does one style of exercise. It's not for the average Joey, but the concept and things that you learn about is if you want to get good at something, practice it. And one of the analogies used through a lot of the, um, uh, the reddits that I, uh, I read upon it was, um, what was it about? Uh, um, if you're going to, uh, if you had to squat, increase your squat by 50 pounds in 30 days, would you squat one time a week or would you squat more? So well, obviously you would squat tremendously much more, you know, if it came down to like your life's on the line, same concept. You want to be better at any skill just implement it on a, on a more frequent basis. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, you can literally take that with anything. If you want to lose weight, well, are you tracking your food? Well, like once in a while. Okay. Well, let's try to increase from there. Um, Mm. are you, you know, getting enough sleep? Well, maybe like three days out of the week. All right, well, let's try for four. You know, Mm. I think that that simple concept of like, just try for a little bit more, try for a little bit better is so simple yet profound. Like in any aspect of this fitness journey, if you just think, how can I capitalize on doing just a little bit more to get better? You know, oftentimes that will yield results. It's when we go to these extremes and we think we have to do so much and we need to do more in order to get results. That's when we get into trouble. And how do you handle the nutrition in your sculpted program? So it's really based on wherever that person is at. However, um, I always tend to say, generally speaking, if someone wants to lose weight, I'm looking at a caloric deficit is conservative as possible. I always like to start people. I know I may be an outlier here, only like a 300 calorie deficit in terms of the actual calories. And then I try to use other variables in order to make up where I want that deficit. So I like to tell people, okay, how many steps do you walk a day? Let's capitalize on that and improve on that. Uh, Can we add an extra training day? Can we add maybe, you know, one more steady state cardio day? I like to keep people having as much food as possible, just because I find, especially for women, um, when we keep calories moderate to higher, the results tend to be a lot better. They might not be as quick, but their their quality of life is better. And long-term, the results are, are better. And you're speaking from deliberate experience. As you mentioned before, you went from 140 to 121 and you were just dying. You had no energy, you didn't yeah. feel good. And then you, you gained it all back plus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Like I said, I wasn't tracking at all during those fitness years, but if I had to say I was maybe eating a thousand calories, if, mm-hmm. if I had to guess, it would probably be in the thousand to maybe 1200. It's so obviously, interesting. Re- Sorry, go ahead. No, obviously rebounding. I'm sure I doubled, if not tripled that amount easily. Um, but then as I started to go on my journey, you know, the past, what I would say seven years, um, I've really been consistently, unless I had to cut weight for a meet where I had to be a specific number, I'd say I've been maintaining anywhere from 1800 to 2200 calories Mm -hmm. and still been able to progress in which I think for a female of, you know, five, three, that's a pretty healthy amount of calories. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so you try to fill as many calories as you can by adding these, these outputs. You talked about your steps. You talked about adding another training day in there, which I love that idea. People sometimes will say things like you can't exercise a bad diet. It's like, no, but you can improve your insulin sensitivity. 
You can, you can improve your hormonal response. You can improve your mood. You can improve your sleep. And that comes with exercise. And then the side effect is the way you handle food, you're now better at it. Right. Um, And then you also, uh, you, you try to accumulate a large volume of food staying around the same caloric amount. And then if so, what type of foods do you like to, do you like people to sneak in there as well? Yeah. So I always like to say, you know, the 80, 20 rule, to be quite honest, if we're going to track macros, I want most of your foods to be whole foods. So we're prioritizing quality sources of protein. Um, obviously grass fed organic is going to be best, but at the end of the day, you know, can we get some sort of lean steak in there? Can we get chicken, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Your veggies, I always say, are free reign. Like, unless it's something that's, you know, a higher glycemic, like corn or carrots, like, load it on there. Have as much salad as you want. No one Mm -hmm. got fat from eating too much salad. Um, And then everything else, you know, in moderation. I also found, especially as women get older, we do better eating less times a day than this typical, oh, eat five to six times a day. Mm. I find blood sugar levels are improved when we can say eat two to three times a day. Uh, and then also mood is better. I found personally, though, this is just a personal antidote. I rather have bigger meals that are more um, filling than be snacking and constantly thinking about food throughout the day. So I'll personally fast in the morning. I'll maybe have a cup of coffee in the morning. And then my first meal is not till 10, 11 o'clock. I'll have a pretty substantial size meal. I'll wait a little bit. I'll go train. I might have clients in the end. And then, um, you know, I'll do like a protein shake to maybe hold me over or some sort of just protein based after my training. And then I'll go home and I'll eat my dinner and that's it. And I find for me that helps. And for most women, I think for the mental aspect of things, if you tell them, okay, I want you to actually sit down. I want you to have a meal that you feel satisfied and satiated and fulfilled rather than, okay, you have to have this like baby rabbit meal three times a day and then do like very small snacks to, you know, Mm -hmm. keep your blood sugar normal or whatever. I think that's, if that's what works for someone, fine, don't change it. But I think there is something to be said about eating less times a day. Yeah. And I I think it also changes as, as we age as well. So if you look yeah. back at, you know, our early days, I always like to think that you were on a, a legal cycle of steroids, you know, from age 15 to 25, yeah. you can abuse the snot out of your body food wise, activity wise, alcohol wise, sleep wise, and you're good. You're, you're good to go. But when you look at, you know, your actual DNA, most of us start decrepiting, becoming more decrepit after the age of 25, things yeah. start to go down right? So like joint integrity changes, the wrinkles on our face start to appear out of nowhere, right? Your vision start like everything just kind of starts going the other way. So when you're invincible, you can get away with a lot of stuff. And you don't feel any differences. Our metabolisms do change as we age. And if we do not change with them, there's going to be a negative side effect. And there's a lot of research showing that multiple meals a day, high amounts of, of meals a day are not good for people with sensitive stomachs. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when you and I are going to have breakfast in the morning, our body is ready to digest it, or it starts the process once we look at the sun. So as soon as we start seeing sunlight, your body's going to start sensing, oh, it's time to start digesting food. So our saliva is going to change. The chemistry of our saliva changes. Our digestive enzymes start producing at a certain rate. We're preparing our body to break down food. Our taste buds are actually heightened. We then eat our first meal, it goes into our stomachs, and then we start breaking all this stuff down and it goes through these processes, 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 kind of like exercise where you then need some recovery time and you need to go a duration before you eat again. But if you're constantly eating, your digestive system is always being stressed. And if you're always being stressed, it's hard to recover. So uh, I've done this, and I'm sure you've done this many times before, is prescribing three meals a day for people to have that, that nice gap. And I'm sure you, does your digestion feel pretty good in contrast to when you used to eat five and six meals a day? Yes. And I will say I used to be very tired after I eat or after I would have a meal, especially if it was, you know, multiple meals. Now I find that's not the case, which you would think, 
okay, I'm eating these bigger meals. You're probably going to be tired after. It's not the case at all. Now, granted, I am eating meals that are comprised of mostly whole foods, protein-based, all of that stuff. Um, but it is, it's pretty contradictory to what most people think. My blood sugar is better. My overall energy is better. Like you said, digestion's better with less food. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's to be said is we have this idea that we're going to starve or we're going to go into starvation mode if we don't eat. Let's be honest, our, our society, at least in the U.S. and in Canada, we're, we're not going to starve. There's no famine that's uh, upon us at all. So we can go five, six, seven hours without food and, and be okay. Like we're, we're not gonna to starve. So have you heard of, um, Angus, Angus Barbary, Angus Barbary. Have you heard of Angus Barbary in the fast? No. Uh, uh. Angus Barbary was in the seventies. So this guy, um, uh, English goes into the hospital. He's 400, he's 207 kilos. He's 450 pounds. And he walks into the hospital and he goes, I'm going to stop eating for 30 days. And uh, if anybody wants to supervise this, let me know. And they're like, sir, like, you can't, you can't do that. Like you're going to die. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So if you want to supervise it, let me know. So a few doctors there said, okay, we'll oversee this whole thing. So for 30 days, he stayed in the hospital. He didn't eat. After 30 days, he lost like 30 pounds or something like that. I mean, he started off at 450, right? Lost like 30 pounds, didn't need anything. He just had water. And what they also gave him was like a, uh, like a, a multivitamin version of a liquid, like this okay. multivitamins, but zero calories, no food, lost 30 days. They took stool samples, blood samples, all good to go. And then he's like, hey, then you leave the hospital. And he's like, I'm going to keep going. And they're like, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. He's like, well, I'm just going to keep doing it. So he came in every week and he brought a stool sample, a urine sample. They take blood and they just kept going he has the world record for the world's longest fast. Do you know how many days he went without eating any food, any food, no supplements. I mean like multivitamin minerals and vitamins. I'm not talking a calorie. He went 382 days. Oh my God. Three... I was going to say like 90 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, you're, you're petite, you might get 90, right? Uh, yeah. Fudgy over here. I might get a hundred, right? 150. <laughs> right. But, but this dude literally went over a year. And he went from 207 kilos down to 78 kilos. So that ended up putting him about 180 pounds. He went from 450 to about 180. He didn't die. He had a lot of reserves on his body. So when people are scared of, oh, if I don't eat, I'm going to go into starvation mode. I'm always like, you know what? Talk to Angus. Okay. This guy <laughs> went a full year and he made it. Yeah. And essentially yeah. this what happened from a, a chemistry standpoint is his body changed the way it utilized energy. It said, you've got a ton of energy stored on you. You'll, you'll make it. So a conversation that I have a lot with people and everyone thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, yo, just don't eat. Well, what do you mean? Like, you just don't need to eat that. Well, it was dinner time. Yeah, but it's not good. It's not going to get you where you want to go. You're actually better off not eating it. Well, Chris, then I'm going to be hungry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll survive. You'll wake right. up the next morning. And you'll probably be really hungry and you're going to have a real high, nutritiously dense breakfast. And then that's going to get your day going, especially for people who don't like to eat breakfast. One thing that I've encouraged people to do is have a very early dinner or actually skip dinner. Just have yeah. lunch, go three days in a row and not have any dinner. And then it switches. They just flip. And the next thing you know, they're like, I was hungry in the morning. I don't know why. I'm like, I don't know why either. Even three days in a row fasting for you know 14 hours. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in fasting. I think that there's a lot of power in calorie or carb cycling. So those are methods that I will talk about in the sculpted strength program. But again, nutrition is one of those things that Every person is unique. What mm -hmm. works for mm -hmm. you may not work for me. That's and a that's caveat okay. There. Every, anyone listening, do not try to go 382 days without eating. Angus was <laughs> yeah. a unique individual. Let's, let's get the Coles notes version and the idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with your so, program, with your program. So someone's listening right now and they want to start on your program. What does the start of your program to the end of your program? What does that look like? Yeah, sure. So it's going to be a five-day split program in terms of what you're doing in the gym. So each workout is going to be anywhere from, depending on how 
how much time you may need to warm up, you know, all of that, you're going to look at probably an hour to maybe an hour and a half in the gym mm -hmm. tops. This is not something that, you know, us power lifters were notorious for being in there two plus hours. No, this is get in, get out. Uh, and then from there, the nutrition aspect is going to be, like I said, we're starting in the most conservative way possible. So I'm going to teach you how to track and set your own calorie parameters, so to speak. And then from there, we will periodize and progressively, you know, progress, I guess, throughout the 12 weeks so that you can achieve the body composition goals that you may have. But the underlying note of the program is we're prioritizing strength in order to reach those aesthetic goals as well. So for anyone who's listening right now, this is a program for you. If you've, if you've been on the fence about strength training or you had no education on how to do strength training, and maybe you've done a lot of classes before, maybe you've plateaued somewhere and you're like, okay, the next step is, is to jump into this. Am I right to say that? Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say too, you know, obviously 2020, through a lot of our, our competitors for a loop for the powerlifting world, you know, a lot of people, myself included, were kind of like, shit, now what, you know, what do we do if we're not competing? So this could be a great way to get back into something. You know, this could be a great way to say, all right, I might not be ready to get back into powerlifting, but I want to do something. I want to get back under the bar. What can I do? And this is just a seamless way to make that happen where you're not thinking and maybe reap some of the benefits that we talked about earlier, like power lifters can reap the benefits of, of bodybuilding and, and vice versa. Maybe you're a bodybuilder and you want to learn how to lift. This might be a good way to kind of introduce yourself to that. Absolutely. If somebody wants a teaser or a taster, is there a way they can get some of that? Do they, do they go to website, social media? Yeah, um, go to my website, um, BrittanyConkeyTraining.com. You can go into my social media. I mean, I, I put teasers out there all the time, but um, the website is probably going to be your best bet to see exactly how I, I think in terms of programming and, and things like that. Awesome. I'll put all that stuff in the, the show notes for anyone who's listening right now. Go to the show notes, click on that, that line with her name on it, have a peek, check out some of the teasers and get some information there. Brittany, it's been, it's been so fun having you on the podcast. It's nice to, to catch up. It's been too long. So Project Fitness Podcast, thanks you for coming on. If there's one last thing you want to say to any listeners, what would it be? I would say just enjoy the journey. Have fun. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just think every day, how can I do one thing better? And I promise you, if you just keep with that, you'll get to wherever you want to be. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.